Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Hey everyone, welcome back to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast. We're so glad that you're here with us today. In the last episode, we talked about trauma and how it can affect your current relationships. And today we're going to continue this idea of trauma and relationships, but we're going to talk about how to curb the effects of trauma on your relationships. But before we jump in today, I would love to ask that if you haven't already rated and reviewed our podcast, we would love if you would take a quick minute and leave us a review. And that'll just make it easier for other people to also find this podcast and get information on healthy relationships, parenting, mental health, trauma, and all the things that we talk about. We would really appreciate if you take some time to do that. All right, let's jump into today's episode on how to curb the effects of trauma on your relationship. So the first thing we want to talk about is kind of a reactionary thing. And so when somebody is in the throes of a triggered response, instead of arguing with them, what you want to do is take a little bit of time and just validate how they're feeling. Not necessarily validate that what they're saying is correct, but you'd say, hey, I can totally see why you'd think or feel that way. I understand this must be a scary thought. Or based on how you describe that to me, it would be fair to be upset by that. Because one of the things I think a lot of people make a mistake about is when somebody is very upset and they are accusatory and attacking you, we have a tendency to want to get defensive. But unfortunately, a lot of times what happens when we get defensive, especially if somebody's accusing us of something we didn't do, it actually can make us look more guilty as opposed to helping to calm the situation down. Now, if you didn't do any of the things that you're being accused of, I'm not asking you and we're not asking you to admit to something that you didn't do. All we're asking you to do is see through the accusation and identify what the feeling is that your partner is likely feeling. That must be scary. It must be very scary to think that I had an affair. Or it must be very frustrating to think that I might have lied to you. And when you do that, when you are not defensive but you're validating how they're feeling, a lot of times that can help to de-escalate the situation. But if you jump right in and you get argumentative and combative with them, even if you're able to intellectually prove that what they're saying is inaccurate, they're going to be more likely to be more upset and more frustrated with you. And I'll ask couples all the time. I'll say, when you start arguing about the facts and information, how many times have you said something when your partner just stops and says, you know what? You're right. I was totally wrong. And almost all the time they say, never. It's it's never worked that way. And so we get tied to this idea of trying to prove something right and thinking that it will change how somebody feels, but it just doesn't really work that way, unfortunately. And I think this goes back to what you were talking about last episode about how trauma can cause you to feel disconnected from reality because that overreaction, they may not even recognize what they are feeling in that situation. So I think this may even start with what you said last time about recognizing that you have to kind of sprinkle in some feeling of what may be happening or what they may be really responding to. It might not be the situation at hand, but it might be something they experienced elsewhere. And so first, really understanding what is happening in this situation and what are they thinking and feeling. And then, like you said, validating that experience or validating what they're feeling and experiencing right now. And one of the things I don't want you to take away from this is if somebody's coming to you with something that's definitely out of touch with reality and fake, I'm not saying to placate a delusional thought or anything like that with agreeing with it, 
but just going along the premise that they might feel this way, this might be an uncomfortable feeling, and not getting argumentative right in the moment with them, but just expressing you understand how they feel, but not just saying like, I know how you feel, but trying to identify what that feeling is very important. Just saying, oh, I understand how you feel doesn't really make somebody feel validated. But you could say, hey, I could see or it would be very scary to feel this way or I could see that it would be fair for you to be angry if that were the case, right? You're identifying and saying what you think the emotion might be and then saying it's fair to feel upset considering what you believe. Now, I wouldn't say it exactly that way. It's fair to feel upset considering what you believe, but that's the basic premise of what you're trying to communicate to them is that how you're feeling makes sense based off of what you believe is going on. Right. And you don't want to placate them, like you said, where you're just saying, oh, I totally get what you're feeling or I totally understand that. But you want to genuinely support them. And so sometimes it is because of a past trauma, right? That's what we've been talking about. But sometimes it's them feeling overwhelmed about multiple things, right? If you go back to the emotional Richter scale, maybe they just have so much on their plate and then somebody spills a glass of milk and they overreact to that where you're really looking at that situation and seeing they're not just overreacting to this glass of milk that has spilled, but they have a lot on their plate overall. And so even just validating them in that moment, gosh, that was frustrating that they spilled that. And then helping them take care of the situation and then maybe discussing it afterwards about what really happened or what really is going on and what they're experiencing. But absolutely, like Tim said, validating that experience and that frustration in the moment is really important. Because engaging any other way is going to escalate the situation and not really help you come to a conclusion that is helpful for both of you. Actually, said something really important there, and I don't want us to just skate by it, is that not every overreaction is because of trauma. It could just be life circumstances and overwhelm. And so I want to make sure that you guys also understand that we're looking to seek to understand our partner better, but under the rock of every overreaction, you're not going to find trauma under every single rock. Sometimes it might just be circumstantial in the moment they were overwhelmed. And in a similar situation in the future, when not overwhelmed, they won't have that overreaction. In particular, it's identified as a connection to trauma. If basically every time you run into this situation, you're very likely to get an overreaction from the person. Absolutely. I think that's really important to point out. And one of the other things that we want to look for is that it might not be that specific situation, right? But it's the belief behind that trauma or this feeling of overwhelm. And it may even be this belief of, oh, I can't stand this. Like, I can't stand when the kids spill or I can't stand when they talk back to me. Then now we're not necessarily looking just for a trauma, but even a belief that causes us to repeatedly respond to situations in this way. But the next thing you want to do is make sure that you're aware of triggers that are causing you to feel heightened. So what are the things around you in your current life or in current situations that bring up this overreaction or these feelings that aren't necessarily in touch with reality or aren't equal to the situations at hand? And I think one thing people want to know about triggers is if we identify a trigger, should we actively avoid those triggers? And the answer is not necessarily, because if you let the triggers have control over you, then it's going to make you have a very small world. Understanding the triggers and understanding that there's a potential to be set off by those triggers helps you go into the situation with eyes wide open. 
But if you're just actively avoiding them all the time, it causes you, I think, to be even more sensitive to the triggers generally in the future because then you haven't worked at learning to cope with those in the moment. Especially if you're in treatment for trauma and you're working through something like EMDR, I actually prefer my clients be confronted with those triggers because then it helps us to know, are we on the right path? Because if we get to a point where the trigger is much more difficult to pull, then we're going the right direction. Or at the point where it's like the trigger is totally clipped at this point and is ineffective and nothing happens when we're exposed to that stimulus, then that means we really have worked through that trauma and we really have been able to help that person move beyond that trigger and then be healed from that wounding. So next what we want to talk about are grounding techniques. And this is something you use in order to help move away from that point of being triggered in a deep emotional state. Now, sometimes you can work with yourself to help move yourself out of that. Sometimes your partner may need to assist in helping you move away from that. But one of the things that I like that is very helpful because what we're trying to do is exit that emotional state as quickly as possible. Because when we're in that emotional state, we're more irrational. It makes discussions when we're in this triggered state much less meaningful and much less helpful. And so if we can move away from that emotional state to a calmer state, then we can have a discussion and say almost the exact same things, but then they'll make a much bigger impact. But if we're in an emotional state, they will make much less of an impact or possibly even no impact. And one of the things I really like that can help calm people down when they're upset is what's called box breathing. And I think we may have discussed this before, but essentially you just think about breathing like a box. And what this mirrors is when you're sleeping, this is the way that you breathe. And so you're going to inhale until your lungs are full. And generally, if you do it over a nice, slow three count, one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000, and then you're at the top of your breath at that three, 1,000, then you're going to hold it at the top for three seconds, one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000. And then you're going to exhale it from the top of the box down to the bottom of the box, three, 1,000, two, 1,000, one, 1,000. Your lungs should be empty. And then you hold empty lungs for one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000. And then you start that process over. So if you ever watch somebody who's sleeping, who doesn't have, let's say, sleep apnea or something like that, you will see them breathe in, pause, exhale, breathe out, pause, and then inhale again. So another good grounding technique is using your five senses to help you focus in on what's happening in the here and now. What are you seeing around you? What are you hearing? right, and go through each of the five senses. And so what that helps you do is recognize what is true in the here and now, what is happening right now. Because when you're having flashbacks, sometimes those flashbacks feel so real to you and you're not able to ground yourself. And you can even use this when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're experiencing a nightmare where sometimes it takes you a minute to look around and recognize, okay, where am I at? There's my alarm clock. That alarm clock is not in my memory or not in this nightmare, or looking over at your spouse, maybe putting your hand on your spouse and recognizing that they're there, or looking at other things in your room to help you ground yourself to the here and now. But when we talked about last week, about how trauma can cause you to fill in the gaps in conversation or in conflict with your spouse, we want to also be able to ground ourselves in those situations. If you're having a conflict or a conversation with your spouse and you're overreacting or you're a little disconnected from reality, and you begin filling in the gap, they meant this because of this. And you start filling in their side of the story, even if it's something they've never said, you want to make sure you back up a little bit and ground yourself in those situations as well. 
So think about who do you know this person to be? Who do I know Tim to be? He has my best interest in mind. And I married a good-willed person. And so when I begin to put words in his mouth and fill in things that show the opposite intent of who I know him to be, then that kind of helps me to recognize that what I might be saying or what I might be filling in the gap might not be true because that's not my experience of who he is overall. Another thing we can do in order to help ground ourselves is describing a very positive event. And this can be a little bit difficult because when you're upset, your brain is on this one track of thinking of a negative thing. But it's very helpful if you have an idea of what it is beforehand and your partner knows it, you know what this thing is, and that can be brought up. Hey, can you take a little bit of time and describe to me our honeymoon? Or can you describe to me our kid's first birthday? Something that has a very deep connection to very positive experience. And if you have that in your back pocket, that's something that can be used in a deeply emotional state to help pull you out of it. Now, we do trauma work all the time, and we actively engage people and work at getting them into this deep emotional state to help work through it. But if in a session we're not able to fully complete that trauma work, that's exactly how we pull them out. We have them describe and kind of immerse themselves in this very positive experience that they've had. And it's a tool that you can always have in your back pocket for yourself or for your spouse to help them to move away from an emotionally triggered event. But this requires the person who is very upset to generally have buy-in before the case. If they have buy-in before the case and they say, okay, yeah, I agree, I wanna do this if I'm really upset, uh, you can remind me to think about this event and then I will. But if you're just kinda throwing this at them and they're not aware that this is a part of what you're trying to do, they might be more resistant to that. And the next thing you can do to curb the effects of trauma on your relationship is to help calm your central nervous system. And some of what we just talked about through grounding techniques will help you to do this, right? Breathing, using your five senses to figure out what's happening. All those grounding techniques will help you calm your central nervous system. But also calming your central nervous system through co-regulation. So allowing your spouse to help you calm your central nervous system so this may be through them talking to you in a calming tone or just being present with you. You having physical interaction or physical touch with them, right? Them putting their hand on your back or rubbing your back. But this can also be through a hug. And we've talked about this multiple times using that cow hug or a bear hug where they just kind of envelop you to a point where you then have that in a sense, a stuttered breathing where then you're heightened and then you can feel that and then you have that kind of releasing breath. And in order to get to that point, it might take a minute or two to get to that releasing breath. But that is a big cue that you are letting go of not necessarily all of the emotion in the moment, but when that big breath comes, it's the majority of the discomfort is being released in that moment. And you want to make sure that you're doing this preventatively in your relationship, right? Where you begin to have a routine where whenever you leave the house, you make sure you kiss your spouse. Or whenever you return, you make sure you have this prolonged hug and you say hello to each other. Where it's not just in these heightened states where we feel, oh my gosh, I need you right now. But that it's a practice in your relationship where it's not weird to hug each other. It's not weird to ask for a hug or to kiss each other, but it's something that you do naturally and you do often. Well, I think it's very important to do those kinds of things too. And even if you've been married for a long time, 
there's a certain amount of insecurity that's naturally baked into the cake. And if you're not working towards quelling those natural levels of insecurity by giving those hugs and those constant reaffirmations with each other, then it causes people to, even if nothing's going wrong, to start to question, do they love me? Are we okay? What's happening? And it's just this social dynamic where we're constantly reassessing the state of our relationship because it is a fluid and dynamic thing that can change over the course of time. And so what happens is we're always analyzing and looking at it, even if we're not aware of it, but trying to assess and see where are we standing right now with not just our partner, but with all of our relationships. And if we do this regular maintenance work where we're doing those goodbye kisses or those nice big bear hugs when we come home, those are the affirmation that we are okay, right? And I think you say this a lot of times, like if I do something silly or fun with you, it gives you this sense of affirmation. Oh, we're okay. Mm. Because if I'm in a bad mood, I ain't being silly. That's just how it goes. Or if you're whistling, I definitely know that you're okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so these things are just a regular part of trying to have a healthy relationship. And it's also something to be said, too, where it's not just a preventative measure, but it's also something that can help to reconnect when there's been a disconnect. So the next thing that you can do to help yourself or your spouse if you're struggling with trauma is to get professional help. And I think there are two basic categories that we want to talk about with this. And one is going and specifically working on your trauma with a trauma-informed therapist. The trauma-informed therapy that we do is EMDR therapy. There are other forms out there if you'd like to look into it, but that's what we do. That's what we know, and we've had wonderful success with it. The other one is support groups, and so you can either go and work individually on your trauma and work at specifically resolving it, or you can also go to support groups where you can feel validation and support from other people who have gone through and or are struggling with something similar to you. And there's a lot to be said that goes into not feeling isolated or like you're weird or an oddball when you go to a support group and then you're able to be around other people who are like, no, 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 that thing that you're feeling, that thing that you're doing, all those kinds of things, I've felt similar things. And so to feel supported by a group of people who know what you've been through because they've been through something similar and then can relate deeply to you through an emotional level is a very helpful thing. It helps remove you from what we talked about in the last podcast, that sense of isolation and helps you feel more communal with people. And then going back to the other idea of the trauma-informed therapy, not just learning to cope with it, but really learning to heal from the trauma and be able to move away from it. And for some people, this almost sounds like a fanciful impossibility when they have experienced a trauma and they identify with it so deeply, they can't imagine a point where they wouldn't feel that bad about that thing anymore. But it's so interesting. My clients say all the time, this is so strange because from one moment to the next where they're feeling so uncomfortable, so bad about something, and then the switch flips in their mind and then they're like, man, that feels different to me now. That does not bother me the way it just did a moment ago where you actually can identify and put your finger on the point when the healing took place where I was hurt then, something snapped, something clicked, something shifted, and now I feel differently about that now. And if you're really struggling a lot with these over-responses and reactions in your relationship, if you want to make your relationship dramatically easier, if you want to make the process of being in a healthy dynamic, not only with your spouse, but with your kids and your coworkers, going to that trauma-informed therapy is really worth its weight in gold. It's as near to a miraculous thing as you can get in the therapy world. Oh, for sure. And it's so exciting to see 
not only clients experience this, but even in our own lives and people that we know to experience this deep healing that they just never thought was possible. They just thought this is something I'm always going to have to live with. And yes, that experience has happened, but the effects of that trauma does not have to rule you for the rest of your life. And so I 100% agree with what Tim's saying is to just go and see if what we're talking about could possibly even be a little true. Go and get that therapy. Go and get the help that you need. And you'll be amazed with the healing that can come from it. And the last thing we want to talk about with how to curb the effects of trauma on a relationship is to get social support and have healthy relationships so that you can feel connected with people. Because one of the effects that we talked about last time of trauma on relationships is feeling isolated. And so in addition to going to that support group that Tim was talking about, this is just having healthy relationships around you. Join a club, join a church, join a place where you gather with other people and you have something in common and you begin to get socially connected. And this doesn't have to be a deep sit down where we talk about things, but it could be go join a racquetball club, go join a bunko club, go to bingo, but go to it consistently where it's not just this one-time thing and okay, I played bingo, but I didn't really talk to anyone. But go to these places where you begin to see the same people and connect and build friendships and build relationships because it is hard after you get out of school where there's not really a set place where you're meeting people unless you're intentionally getting out there and being able to interact with people to then create healthy and meaningful relationships. And so then you don't feel so isolated and you don't feel so alone. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you haven't already joined our Facebook group, you can find a link to it in the description of the show notes. And we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. If you have a question or topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.